Welcome to Good God, Conversations That Matter About Faith and Public Life. I'm your host, George Mason, and we are continuing today our series called American Faith. Our special guest is Yolanda Bluehorse, and she is uh, Executive Director for, well, for Indigenous uh, Communities Engagement. Oh, I'm not sure I got that just right for the Menmazine Institute. Can you say that for us uh, again, Yolanda? Yes, I'm uh, the director of the Indigenous Cultures Program for Memnazine Institute. Oh, <laughs> it's you. a mouthful, I know. titles get to be a mouthful, that's right. But, <laughs> but even more so, what I would want to say is that Yolanda is a, a terrific advocate uh, for Indigenous peoples and uh, for her community. She is of the Rosebud Sioux Tribe and is a a presence for social justice in the Dallas community and in the larger DFW area also. Uh, we are delighted to have you on this program, Yolanda. Thank you for taking the time to talk with us. Thank you for having me. I look forward to our conversation. Well, we've, we've had some opportunity to talk before this and you've been educating me already. I think many of our uh, viewers and listeners would want to understand just a little bit more about the uh, spiritual and religious uh, aspects of indigenous peoples, indigenous cultures, and how uh, they relate to the wider religious culture in America, which tends to be much more uh, oriented toward uh, a Christian uh, religious culture. So when, when we've talked, what you've what's really stuck out to me is that the categories that people bring to these conversations are actually not uh, altogether understandable to um, indigenous peoples because you have a different orientation in your spirituality that's rooted in the earth and in uh, everyday life and in nature. Can you, can you speak a little more about that for us? Well, it's like when I go out and I do presentations to try to explain to people, you know, and, and what first people all need people need to understand is all indigenous people do not believe the same way. So like for me, perhaps for being Lakota or being part of what uh, non-indigenous people call the Great Sioux Tribe, we have different beliefs versus the Diné or Navajo tribe. Mm -hmm. you know, so each tribe has different, different outlooks, beliefs, ceremonies. Um, we're all different, and I'm even including the indigenous people uh, down in, in Mexico. You know, what people really don't realize about them either, they're indigenous as well. They're not just, quote, Mexicans, but they are part of individual tribes down there. That's a term I think that, you know, colonialism gave that to them, but they are tribes down there as well. Mm -hmm. So they all have different beliefs, too. But what I really like to tell people is when you look at our culture or look at our, the, the way we believe or the way we pray is it is tied to earth. You know, we believe that mother earth or uh, she, she has given us everything that we need. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as we had the discussion before, or when people ask me, well, how, you know, how did you go? Do you have a church or something? No, we don't have a church. We have the outside. That mm -hmm. is our church out there. Mm -hmm. We also have a great respect for all of the animals, the plants. 
trees, you know, people, you have to think about it too, you know, before, you know, our lands got conquered or rather stolen from us, we were, we lived outside, you know, our habitats were outside. We were nomadic people and we got really close. And I'm talking probably at the beginning of time, we've got really close to the earth, the learning about nature. You know, it's not like we saw, you know, they didn't have the technology, any technology back then. So the outside was our TV set or so to speak and, and watching the animals and watching the, the spring, you know, we believe, you know, just like, uh, we believe a lot in the stars. We actually have our own constellations. And I say, we, I talk about the, the Sioux tribe. Um, so I'm talking from where I, what I'm from, but, um, you know, there's, there's things like that, that I think people, when you look at it back that way, then you say, okay, now I understand. And, and we don't have a book. You know, we don't have a Bible, so to speak, you know, but we use outside as our Bible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it seems that whereas uh, many religions, including Christianity, uh, have this sense that there is a division between the natural world and the supernatural world. uh, You have a more unified vision of that 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 the, the the great spirit is infused in all things and is to be experienced through nature and through uh the uh encounter with the world as it is given to us is that is that fair to say yeah that's that's fair okay i, you know, I hate i hate the, the term supernatural because i think I think that a lot of people have a tendency who if they have not studied indigenous history or native American history or whatnot, you know, they have a, they have a tendency to think, and this is some of the things I've experienced that, you know, yes, we have, we, some tribes have pipes and they're not called peace pipes. They're pipes. Okay. Uh, That's a, that's a Hollywood term. Right. Um, But we don't put, it's natural tobacco that actually goes in there. It's not, you know, well, what do you guys smoke in your pipes? I'm like, what? You know, that people think that we have, you know, drugs in them or something. And no, we don't. It's, it's actually very natural tobacco. Um, you know, it's to use the term supernatural, I think is, is, is that's one, one word I would, you know, I don't like just simply because people look at us and because Hollywood has done so much damage to who we are as a people you know, we believe in things that maybe on a different level, just like I think any religion probably believes on a different level, you know, but because of, like I said, Hollywood or people, people reading books, you know, um, it's unfortunate that some people have a tendency to look at us as being, you know, uh, primitive or backwards or some unenlightened or some such thing. Right. Yeah. Right. So if I think the people who are listening and watching this program are people of generally uh, religious goodwill and would be eager to do the right thing, but may not always understand uh, the best language, the best, uh, what are some of the things that you would say are um, guidelines for people like me uh, to, to learn how to speak, what language should we use and shouldn't we use uh, in reference to indigenous peoples? And there I've just done it. I've said indigenous peoples. Uh, 
We've heard language like First Nation, Native American. Uh, my guess is that the term Indian is probably not the one we would want to use to, uh, unless you used it yourself, right? So uh, how, how would you instruct us? What would be uh, honorable ways for us to uh, begin this process of, of doing better in this respect? Sure. I think using the term indigenous is probably the most respectful. Okay. Um, and it kind of just depends. It varies with like, even with people, with, with us who uses the term American Indian or who uses the term native American. So, I mean, you know, talk toy coin toss from there, but um, indigenous is probably the better, the better route to go. The other, what another word, you know, people uh, have used the term squaw to reference to female indigenous people. That is an absolute no, no. Okay. Saying the word redskin, which I'm so glad that team finally got rid of that name. Um, you know, that's that's like using the N-word. Yes. So, you know, things like that. Um, but and then just to have respect for, you know, it's like people would come in with their cameras and their video, you know, whatever recording devices. And it's like, wouldn't you find that offensive if I got I've went into your church and just started snapping pictures and you know, be respectful and ask, may I take your picture or may I have your photograph, you know, and things like that. Excuse me again. <clears throat> I, I think people might be interested in why you are experiencing some um, oh, allergies, allergies yeah. and all of that. Tell, tell people what you've just done. With the nonprofit I work for and because of the, you know, the, the storm that we had, a lot of the indigenous people south of San Antonio <clears throat> are getting we're getting left out you know they had no power no water pipes are busted and they weren't getting any help so what we were able to do was organize to get us this 18 wheeler that had 17 pallets of water on it we were able to get all that donated from 7-eleven and get it down there so we made a trip down there but that wind that wind down there was just blowing really bad and it it got to me. So I apologize to your viewers for having okay. to stop and cough, but that's all right. Good. Well, thank you for that service uh, that you, you provided. Uh, so getting back to though ways that we can honor, I would think too, that uh, there is, is probably a narrative uh, about the, um, the nature of our country altogether that is needing to be revised in light of uh, the fact that we, we tend to tell a narrative that we have somehow discovered America, that we have created America. And this uh, has been challenged, of course, in part by Black Americans who have uh, experienced uh, their sense of, uh, wait, where is our narrative in this story? Similarly, uh, Latinx folk have said, you know, we, we were in Texas before you were, and how about our story? But uh, indigenous peoples, Native Americans, were here before we got here. And there's a sense in which your part of that story uh, is perhaps now beginning to be honored more and more as people are beginning to, uh, to say, wait a minute, we need to look at how we understand this sense of place that has come to be called the United States of America. So what are some ways that you think that we could begin to honor that better? I think first to understand, you know, a lot of, I've really noticed down here, 
And I, I'm not from here. I was uh, born in South Dakota, mainly raised in the Denver area. And it was uh, the military that actually brought me down here to Texas. So um, I think one of the things people need to really realize is that, one, yes, we still exist. I have come across people that couldn't believe that they were still Native Americans. I thought that was crazy when I first moved down here. Secondly, you know, there's there's not a lot of history or information taught to high school students or to students period about the indigenous existence here prior to you know uh the settlers coming and whatnot um i think to to really read and look to see to do your research to understand who we are is important um and and just to just to understand what we went through. You know, some people don't really realize is that the United States government attempted a attempted to get rid of us, basically. It was a genocide against indigenous people. You know, they wanted us gone. And that's, you know, the, what other people don't understand is that's why they set up a system where, you know, are you a member of this tribe or that tribe? Because eventually, yeah, and yes, we do get something from the government. We do get some assistance like, you know, health care. And, you know, one of the crazier things people say, well, you got all those casinos. The, <laughs> the monies from the casinos go into the infrastructure for the tribe or the community there. But a lot of times like Windstar, there's so many hands, there's so many hands in that bucket right there. Nice. So many other investors. It, this is not, it's not just a you know, that Indian reservations, uh, Chickasaws, you know, Windstar, it's not that they're not rich, you know, so it's not like that. Do we get free school, college assistance? No, not all of us do. I wish I did, because I've got a huge debt with having gotten my master's degree. But, um, you know, to look at who we all really are, and don't be afraid to ask questions, because we want people to ask questions. We want people and don't be afraid to I'm always one out one to be a proponent to uh, educate, mm-hmm. educate and let people know, you know, what's true or what's not true. Um, but get out there and look and ask. And, you know, when this pandemic is over with, we actually have uh, what's called powwows here in the Dallas area. Mm-hmm. People are more than welcome to come. if They want to become educated to stand and watch and see and learn. You mentioned genocide. And I think, Part of this education is becoming honest about our history, too. Yes. Uh, you know, in, when, when we had, uh, when Texas was a republic, uh, one of its presidents, uh, President Lamar, uh, actually uh, issued orders uh, to essentially extinguish uh, indigenous peoples in, in Texas. That's not something that is taught. Uh, very much in, uh, I think, the classrooms of Texas students. And so uh, it is, but it is part of a history that would honor uh, a a broader story uh, about who we are without just saying um, the the whole point of rewriting this is just to make white people feel bad. It's instead to have a true and fairer narrative, right? Right. And to, you know, to let people know that this did happen. So history does not repeat itself. So we learn from the mistakes that were, that happened. And we learned how, I mean, even look at what's happening on the border right now with the, with the children and, and these people being in cages and whatnot and their living conditions. It, it's, it, 
why are we doing this in 2021? Why are we, why are we treating human beings like this period? You know, you, you, we, the United States government did this to, to, to the people of North America here. And now they're doing it again. I mean, it just, we're not learning. We're not learning or we're, we're wanting to turn, turn our heads away from what happened, you know, back way back when. So it's, it, again, it's just people really need to, to open their eyes and look and, 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 you know, one thing I learned, and I'll never forget this. I thought the Texas Rangers, when I first moved here, was just the baseball team. <laughs> I did not know, you know, that there was actually a law enforcement entity. You know, growing up Colorado, we don't have anything like the Texas Rangers there. And then when I found out the history of the Texas Rangers, I couldn't believe that whole entity, that law enforcement agency is even still in existence. Right. How can you be want to be part of an agency that, you know, their goal was to get rid of the indigenous people, period, to get them out of Texas? You know, so that was crazy to me when I first moved here. Well, I think on this program, one of the things we're trying to do, Yolanda, is to create a sense of understanding for for those who may live with uh, within their religious traditions in this country, certainly in, in, in the state of Texas, uh, and, and recognize that other people maybe don't have the same religious or worldview outlook on things. And so I think this is a beautiful example of some of the differences uh, uh, in, in this conversation, because as I understand it, uh, the, the more Western view of uh, of the earth or land or property uh, is that um, it, it, it belongs to us, whereas the, the more indigenous perspective is that we belong to it. it, it that, that we have a sense that we are eager to, to have ownership of land and you have a sense of obligation to land. Uh, it, 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 and so it's a completely different perspective so that when we start talking about carving out um, territory that is native territory, you might say, and land, uh, on the one hand, that sounds generous of us to do so. On the other hand, you might receive it, like recently the rulings in Oklahoma that give much more um, uh, land to indigenous peoples. But nonetheless, the whole idea of demarcating a property as if it belongs to someone or another is, is really sort of foreign to the mindset, isn't it? Right. And I'll give you another example. I and mean, if you really think about it, you'll, you'll understand what I'm saying. You know, take, for instance, the Black Hills. The Black Hills were originally in the treaties were supposed to be given to the Sioux Nation. Mm -hmm. And they're not. They're full of casinos right now. They're mining uranium up there. Uh, there's people that live there that aren't supposed to be there. It's supposed to be native land, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But the second thing, of course, we, the, and I'm proud to be the tribe I am of the, of the Sioux Nation because we are the only nation on the entire planet that has actually conquered the United States flag. We, were, we, we did this in history during the Indian Wars. Mm -hmm. um, but we were one of the last ones to fight back. 
mm-hmm. as well when you look back in history. But in doing so, you know, and, and eventually we had, they moved us onto reservations. But I think just to rub it in our noses, maybe because we killed Custer or whatever, to rub it in our noses, now you have Mount Rushmore that they, they stamp right in the middle of our land. I see. You think about that, you know, and it's, it's just like the government wanted to say, oh, you know, people just wanted to say here, you know, you think you got us. No, we're going to give it to you again. Mm-hmm. You know, right. so it's having that Mount Rushmore and, and plus having those presidents, when you look them up in history, they were slave owners. Mm-hmm. Andrew, you know, and, and people don't know a lot about and, uh, Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln uh, gave the order to have the largest mass execution of native people to the Dakota, to the Sioux people. Mm-hmm. There were 38 of them hung. <sighs> so there's a lot of history that people don't realize that's out there. And, and you know, we're the one of the biggest things people also don't understand is we are the smallest group, ethnic group here. We were the first ones here, but we're the smallest ones. We don't have a large voice. So it takes things like this, which I'm very appreciative of you having me to educate people out there to, help, you know, get out there and, and talk about who we are. We don't have a large voice. The only time that we've recently had a really large voice with what was going on up in Standing Rock with the Dakota Access Pipeline, you know? Mm-hmm. So we deal a lot with even environmental racism. Sure. So we, we're coming to the end of our time together and I, I thank you so much for it, but I can't let us finish without having a further conversation about this um, continuing challenge of cultural appropriation through sports and team mascots and school mascots and the like. Now we know that there has been a growing trend to come away from that. Years ago, um, Stanford University moved from becoming from being the Indians to the Cardinal, and uh, recently, finally, the Washington team uh, changed their name and dropped Redskin, and they are still not saying what they're going to be yet. Uh, We have heard that the uh, Cleveland Indians are doing the same. Uh, That's progress. Uh, You have been involved and there's a beautiful PBS uh, documentary I wanna point people to as well that features your advocacy work here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area because some students at Keller High School in North Fort Worth, North Tarrant County, Uh, they became concerned about their mascot, uh, Indian mascot, and felt that it was inappropriate and began to appeal to the school board. And you were there to support and encourage them and give guidance and, and, and help them along the way. And that is documented in this PBS American Portrait uh, documentary that I, again, would point people to. Uh, Episode three, which is keep, uh, is the idea. So can you say, a little more to people about this idea of when when many people say, well, this is just tradition, it's history, we've always used this, and we don't mean any offense by it, and we're just trying to actually honor Indian culture and these sorts of things. What is it that you would say to people to, to say, stop and think from our point of view? How can How can you help us think through this so that we might break through this this history into a more generous place well what what when we went to the school board one of the things and this there are scholarly journals on how uh, mascots affect indigenous people what they can do um 
one of the most important things is if I lived in that school district and if my children are grown, but let's just say, if my children go to that school and they see this mascot and they know that I'm teaching them, you know, that I'm teaching them traditions, Native American traditions, and that one of them is you don't you don't walk around wearing a headdress. You know, what we tell people is that, you know, there was a time there for a little bit when people were going around saying they earned the Purple Heart. And that wasn't true. And how many veterans were so offended by that? Right. It is, headdress is the same thing for us. Mm-hmm. You have it is a great honor, like the Purple Heart, to have a headdress. So come Halloween time. No, it's not cool to wear a headdress. And it's definitely not cool to have a mascot as one, which is what their mascot has is a headdress on it. Right. You know, um, but if my children were to go there and they see this, how do you think that makes them feel? Mm-hmm. Is that really who I am, especially when a child is going through a time, you know, in their teenage years of finding out who they are? You know, yeah. what what group of people are they going to belong to? That really affects them as well. Right. And there's there's literature on that. And it goes for the same thing for non-indigenous kids. You know, we went to, I went to a football game and I wanted to see that it, the cheerleaders there at, at that high school dressed like they were, they had a Native American costume on, you know, headband and fringe this. And I thought, oh my goodness, you know, that, that right there is cultural appropriation. So your kids, that high school is teaching non-Native kids that it's okay to dress up like another culture. It's okay to do this number, you know, which we don't even do. That's another Hollywood thing. Um, But it's okay to walk. There was a teacher there that had on a bright blue headdress. She was teacher of the week. Imagine that. And I thought, oh, my gosh, these people either one are not educated on how it hurts or they just flat out don't care. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, we've pointed out even to the school board here in Keller that, OK, the Washington team gets it. What is taking you so long? <laughs> Maine, state of Maine actually put a law into effect where you can't have Native American mascots anymore. So. It's going to take a while. I think just from hearing noise in the background, hopefully it will change. It's going to take some time. You know, we've been going at this, gosh, for about four, four years, five years now. Mm -hmm. It'll take some change. It'll take time. But, and I think we'll see it. I think, I think the council members know, but it's got to be more of the community there. It's got to be more of the community there. And I think a lot of people, from what I'm hearing, a lot of the students were at first initially were scared to speak up. Even teachers were scared to speak up for in fear of retaliation, which I completely understand. This is your job. Mm-hmm. You know, or you don't want to be bullied. One of the, the, the other young man that was on PBS with me, he was actually getting bullied. He was getting other kids throwing stuff at him. Right. I mean, you see, you see what happened, but he's, uh, he's not really coming from the kids. That's coming from their parents too. Right. Yeah. right. The, the authority figures that don't want to let go of a privileged position in culture. And uh, so I think part of the reason we're doing this, of course, is to uh, educate people who do have influence, who can raise their voices, advocates and allies. Uh, and, and, and so that we can, make the promise of America that we are a truly pluralistic religious culture that honors all traditions, uh, that we can make that a reality in, in our time. So uh, Yolanda, we, I thank you so much for joining us on Good God, for your advocacy in the community, 
not only for your own people, but also for all your neighbors. Uh, similarly, because as uh, Dr. King said, injustice, injustice anywhere uh, is a threat to justice uh, everywhere, right? So. Yes, yes. And thank you. And, and I appreciate you taking the time for this, for allowing me to give me a platform to speak on. And if anybody has any questions, I'm you know, willing to answer anything I can and uh, open to anything anybody has to say or is interested in knowing. Thank you so much. And uh, I hope people will reach out to you. Uh, you're easy to find on uh, Google, Yolanda, Y-O-L-O-N-D-A, uh, Blue Horse, two words. And uh, thank you so much. And we'll see you around town and in places where it matters as we work together. God bless you. Thank you, sir. Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White. Social media coordination by Cameron Vickery. Good God, Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2021 by Faith Commons.